Hi, I'm Tisha, and I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that this podcast deals with the hard stuff in life. We share stories of trauma and triumph, and the subject matter may be alarming to some listeners. Please check the show notes for content warnings and take care of yourself. If you want to support the work we are doing, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash nowwhatpod. You're listening to Now What, a podcast where we celebrate the human spirit by sharing stories of strength and resilience. For those going through hard times or looking to get inspired to change their own life, we're your hosts, Jen and Tisha. Welcome to today's show. I'm Tisha. And on today's episode, we are going to actually be talking with my co-host, Jen, and she's going to be sharing some of her story today. Thank you, Jen, for being willing to share your story with us all. I know that it takes some courage to be vulnerable. So thanks. It does. And it's actually, I'm more nervous about this. <laughs> I've, I've kind of talked a bit about my story um, on some other podcasts, but not going to lie, it feels different right now. <laughs> So if you follow me on social media or you've listened to any of the other podcasts that I have appeared on, my trauma is that my husband, Warren, was killed in a workplace accident while he was working in the film business. It was extremely sudden and yeah, it, that, that's just it. I'm very like cut and dried with it. <laughs> um, that's, that's what happened. And it's funny thinking about how I was going to have to talk about this and the things that I felt were important to share um, on this platform of ours. I just really, it brought me back and I really remembered kind of the fog that I was in Mm -hmm. that whole day from the second I got the phone call. My sons and I were at the beach and I called uh, Warren to ask about some pizza place that was near this beach that him and his crew really liked because they had been shooting a movie out there the summer prior. And the last thing he said to me was like, I got to go, Jen, I'm flipping a car, which I realized does not sound standard to the average person. But in our world, that was a very, okay, whatever, go flip your damn car kind of a thing. That's what he did. Um, yeah, that's what he did. And in retrospect, I have a lot more respect for how dangerous his job was, but he was just so confident about it that you never questioned it. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, flip your car. And about 20 minutes later, I got a call from one of his crew who I just assumed was calling me about the pizza place. And, you know, I was told there was an accident. And at first I was a little bit put off because again, like what an accident, is he bleeding a bit? Like, or did, was a bone broken? Like, not that that's even happened, but again, it was just so outside of the realm of possibility that anything would be worse than that. Um, and something just told me that I had to leave. And so I left and I didn't know. And I, we were an hour away from home. I drove to a good friend's house. I had the kids in the car. I was freaking out, but I still didn't know. I knew there was something with his head and then there was like a lot of blood and that was it. And it's funny how your brain kind of compartmentalizes when you're in those moments. It wouldn't. I remember sitting in the car as I was driving and I had very thankful we had an entertainment system in the car and I put on Scooby-Doo for my kids and like turned it up really loud in the back seat so I could call my mom and call whoever. I didn't even know what I was calling about, but I do remember thinking to myself, I'm not going to be a widow. So then, you know, get to my friend's house where I knew the boys would be safe no matter what I had to do. And uh, one of Warren's business partners showed up and he told me that that he was gone. And I just remember screaming. Mm -hmm. You know, I know we went to the hospital. That was a really weird experience. Again, you know, I think my ability to compartmentalize really kicked in because, you know, at one point I, I remember sitting waiting to talk to the doctor and one of our really good friends was actually with Warren in the ambulance and and when he died, and so she was sitting with me, I remember thinking, like, I don't, I might throw up when I talk to this guy. And she's like, I already have. And she was like, here, look, they cleaned it out and like gave me the <laughs> garbage can. I mean, you know, like what she saw, I can't even fathom that and all the people that were there that day. Because uh, like the doctor said, he's in, he's in the room, you know, we'll take his hand out of the sheet, but I don't recommend you looking, which I was okay with. I mean, as okay as one can be, but just like, if the doctor's telling you not to look like I'm pretty comfortable. You're going to take the doctor's 
Yeah, that's not, you know, and especially once I went in there, like, I don't know if anybody's ever been in that position before, but he, he wasn't there. Like that wasn't him. Right. You know, I, I don't consider myself to be a religious person, um, but I am more spiritual. And there was at that point, and I'm not even entirely sure how long he had been dead, but it wasn't him. You know, it was his hand and, and I knew it was him, but it was cold and it wasn't. And, and in some ways, I feel like for me, that was better. I was uncomfortable sitting there, but more because I actually like really hate hospitals, like a whole bunch. Like I remember going to do our hospital visit before we had my oldest and we left and I was like, maybe we should do a home birth. I really think a home birth is a good idea. And he was like, no, it's a month away. No. Yeah. <laughs> But I, again, I like my ability to compartmentalize and just being really fortunate that he was in the film business and extremely well known and respected here in Toronto. And I had my own people in the film business. There were the amount of support that I had at the hospital was unreal. I just had people around me like lifting me up and, 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 you know, taking care of me and as best as they could. Yeah. You know, there was not much to say on that day. It was just surreal. You know, I talked to some people on the phone and I had to, again, because he was working in TV, I had to approve a press release. I mean, I didn't have to approve a press release, but my very good friend who was at the hospital, who is just really good at managing that kind of stuff. She said, studio is going to put out a press relief release. And she goes, you want to see it first. And I was like, what? She goes, you Fair. want to see it first. And I, and I was like, yes, I absolutely do. I mean, and not that it would behoove them to say anything wrong or, you know, that I wouldn't approve of, but it's still our life that's, that we're talking about here. So, you know, I was very lucky to have that. We did that and, and, you know, really good friends were there who it's very weird looking back that they weren't the people who were called to come get me to begin with. Um, But I was like, I just remember at one point, like, once his family got there and they, they had to take him away. I was like, I'm, I'm done. I can't, I need to leave. This is, and, and so they brought me back to where my kids were. And my biggest fear that day, I had two big fears that day at the hospital. And that, that was all I could worry about was his parents lived very far away and that they get there before the coroner's office had to take him away because he was their only son. They have daughters, yeah. but you know, their child, their oldest, like he, he was there. He was the whole family's almost everything. So, you know, just making sure that, that they could get there. Mm-hmm. And again, going back to the compartmentalizing, I realized I knew somebody who worked at the coroner's office. So talk about a really weird message to get on Facebook messenger from somebody you hadn't spoken to in a little while. Right. Um, I'm kind of known, I feel like as the person who knows, like lots of people showed on that day. Um, but it was just what, and like, somebody was like, I like, of course you're doing this right now, Jen, like what? But then also was, how do I tell my children? You know, like they knew there was an accident. And even like, as we were driving before I turned on, or was, we were getting ready to drive before I turned on, you know, the movie Logan said to me, he's like, mommy, it's upsetting me. Please stop talking about the accident. Right. Cause I kept calling people and, you know, cause he was getting scared. Yeah, obviously, because he yeah. could tell that I was getting scared because we literally had just gotten to the beach. They had just gotten in the water, you know, and yeah. it was like a perfect summer day. And mm-hmm. I had to like get them out and get them changed. And our favorite beach that we like, you know it very well, Tisha, it's a long walk to the bathroom. It's a long walk <laughs> to the car. It's like, you know, and I have this four-year-old and six-year-old who wanted no part of leaving. So it was you know, so there was all of that. I was fortunate enough to have a very good friend who had gone through something similar, who had what's called a child life specialist. I never knew this existed before, who gave me a call and kind of talked to me through generally how I could tell the boys. It's probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do. I imagine. And especially because, you know, they had been playing all day at a friend's house and like, they knew there was an accident, but they were having a great old time. They were playing with their neighbors. You know, this is a pre-COVID world. <laughs> this is 2019. Yeah. And, you know, Logan, who was six at the time, like lost it. And Wyatt, who was four, was confused a little bit and was a little bit sad and saw his brother was crying. So he knew it was a big deal. And then he started laughing and asked to go out and play because he's four and they were running around the cul-de-sac and, you know, having a mm-hmm. grand old time. 
you know, and even Logan, he was crying, but then eventually he stopped. He was like, can I go play? And, you know, of course he could go play. Yeah. It was just so weird. And being being there at our friend's house. And it was, I have a lot of, of friends and acquaintances in this neighborhood. And, you know, Warren was always happy to hang out with everyone, but, but this friend's house who we were at, like they were our friends just yeah. four, day, four days ago, we had been at my in-laws cottage with their, them. Like we did things together. Right. And, uh, you know, waiting there for my mom who literally turned around from wherever she was driving to, to go home and get her passport to come before she even knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. to then come back to our house. And after that, like, I remember that day very clearly, but the rest of it was just like a fog. Yeah. I, I'm so impossibly fortunate for the people in my life and for all that they did. You know, my mother, how she just drove up here. My sister got on the first flight out of Boston to Toronto the next morning. Um, mm-hmm. You know, our other good friends, just like they descended upon our house and just cleaned and folded laundry. And I mean, I got new appliances and like basically just did anything that they could like concretely to make our life a little bit easier. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, there was the conversation about funerals and memorials and things like that. And I just looked at my sister and I was like, I can't do this. And so literally her and a couple other friends went around and looked at funeral like here's my sister she left her two babies at home to come Mm -hmm. here for me at painting trim in my house and hanging pictures and building (laughs) gardens like she just she I mean I've everybody in their life needs a a Jill like they just yeah people cope differently right they do and and that but like a lot of that is just her anyway like if you talk to her she's just always doing something around her house right so and I'm sure because I'm not always doing something around my house, there have been times that she's come here that she's wanted to do all that stuff. So <laughs> an element of it was to make things like nicer, better, whatever for me, but also like, oh, I've been wanting to do that. Yeah. Um, but I definitely remember thinking, because obviously I, I knew you and I, I well, and you were to you, that day and yeah, I saw you came, I was yeah. there that day. And um, other than sort of the obvious sort of first thoughts, like one of the first things I was thinking about was like, oh my gosh, her f- family's so far away. And, you know, compared to the whole world, I mean, they're certainly as further away they could be, but they were far away. Yeah. And they couldn't just be here in an hour. And his family was far away. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it really was beautiful to see how many people came forward. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, came out to help you. And like the way that the friendships that you developed you know, those people were able to be there for you. Yeah. Well, and even I live out in this little cul-de-sac and that night when we got home to for, cause it was all over the news yeah. for about a week, you know, in various parts of the world, it was mentioned on the news, but all of, all of my neighbors were on the neighbor's house across the street when we got home. And like, I remember I didn't even turn around and like my mother's car was unloaded and my car was unloaded because we had all our stuff from the beach. And, and yeah. it was just, I, I said, I was like, I remember saying to my mom, I need pull up. And a neighbor was like, okay, I'm going to go get some. I'm going to shoppers right now. You know, what else do you need? And, and it was just yeah. like, cause I'm the person that I'm that person as a mom, yes. but just in general, like I'm just that person. You're a doer. So, uh, yeah. And it's like, you know, I've got this, like, what do you need? You know, someone's hosting a dinner. Yeah. I walk in and I'm like, what can I do? How can I help? Like, you tell me, like, let me take this. In retrospect, it's just very interesting. I mean, I didn't really have a choice as to whether or not I was going to let people, I mean, I guess I did. I could have said, no, I don't want the help, but I don't think I couldn't even do that. I, I didn't, I, I, I couldn't even do that. You know, it was more like, yes, please help me. <laughs> It was just like, yeah, I guess I need them. So not even yes, please help me. It was like, okay. Like yeah. it was, and I'm not really that kind of a person. No, like I have I, strong opinions about things in general. <laughs> you know, you, you describe being in a fog, mm-hmm. right? And so I imagine there's a certain amount of kind of numb. Yeah. I right. Mean, it was just so weird. And again, there's a whole thing with him having been in the film business of there, I, I, have known people who have died untimely, like not like tragically, traumatically, whatever in the business here in Toronto. And there's always a big memorial. And he was beloved, very well known. 
His father was a well-known person in the business too. So there was that whole piece, which I knew I wouldn't necessarily have to like organize or anything. Like it'd be the film family does that. You know, I, I, we just decided it happened on a Thursday that, I mean, let's just get this all done next weekend. And I think everybody was kind of blown away with how quickly everything came together. But I literally had a team of people doing it all for me. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I asked a wardrobe, an Oscar nominated wardrobe designer to shop for me and the boys. And they agreed. And they agreed. (laughs) And like, I recognize that that is not a normal thing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I just kind of was like, at some point, I think I was able to acknowledge that I would want to do anything I could to help someone in my situation. And... I guess I kind of just took for granted that people felt that way. Um, And they did. And they did. I mean, I I don't know. I don't know how you would say no to somebody in that situation either. But even now, like, I don't think they would have anyway. And and I think they wanted to anyway. Not that they even wanted to say no. I think think people wanted to help. They wanted to do. They wanted a job. Yeah. And people want to help. And in those situations, and I think I've heard you talk about this before, but like people want to help and they often don't know what to do. So if you can ask, people will do it. The difficulty lies in sometimes even recognizing what you need yourself, I think. Yes. And being able to ask, like if you, if you can articulate it and you do ask, people certainly will help. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I, I don't think in, in general, did I know what I needed? No, but I knew I needed something to wear to a funeral and I knew I needed something to wear to a memorial and I knew somebody who could shop the pants off anybody else I know. And, you know, and he came to measure me and he's like, what about the boys? I was like, I don't freaking know. Yeah. They need stuff too. Yeah. Cause all I could think of was the only thing that they had that was like, you know, nice enough was something that we got family pictures taken in, in Turks and Caicos nine months earlier. And I was like, I will be damned if they are wearing those outfits to their father's funeral. Right. Which I guess it doesn't matter, but I don't know. I was, uh, even when I was trying stuff on, I remember thinking, I'm just going to burn these clothes anyway. Like what, what are you going to do? Hold on to them and then think about it. Um, I I mean, I actually didn't. And the one dress that, uh, one of the dresses that I wore to the funeral, my mother goes, I know you want to burn this, but it looks really nice on you. (laughs) Yeah, I do still have it. Um, But I don't know that I will ever wear it again, but it's one of those things that, you know, anyway. But so, and then when the owl that was done, like I was in a fog and kind of numb, but I was able to kind of like hold it together. And then after that was really hard, there was less purpose. You know, you're told, especially with kids to maintain a routine. Well, the beauty of our summers and me primarily being a stay-at-home mom is that we didn't have a routine. That's what we loved about the summer. Right. And I didn't want to do anything. My mom stayed with us. She um, basically wouldn't let me drive anywhere. I think she had, you know, she had all of your numbers and she would just be like, text somebody, you know, can either come sit with Jen or, you know, can you take Jen to this? And not that there were many places I needed to go, but four days after the memorial was our wedding anniversary, which again, I was numb, but some of my girlfriends took me to a rage room because the one thing that was really sitting with me through all of it was anger, just a lot of anger. There's a lot of, most people are familiar with the 12 stages of grief or maybe it's not 12. I don't even remember what it is, seven stages of grief. I don't even know, uh, to be honest, I did know, and I can't even remember it right now, but they're not like, we will look it up and we will link it. We'll link it in the show notes, notes. (laughs) Um, but you can't like, like, and I never thought that it was a check the Markov thing because it's not, it's a very like, it's a wavy cyclical line, you know, there's no, okay, I got anger done. Like, let's move on to, you know, betrayal or whatever they are. But I was in a really angry place. And I just even remember, you know, saying, because people, you, you walk up to someone at like a memorial like that, and they would like, look at me. And I kind of felt the compulsion to make them feel better, not because I felt better, but because like, it was really, you know, part of me, but fucked up. Mm-hmm. You know, like I would literally look at people and I would just go, what the fuck? And I'd hug them. My mom, if she's listening, is mortified right now. Because it's not, it's against anything ladylike, but that's not me anyway. And it's definitely not anybody in the film business. 
and I would say to people, I'm here and I'm okay. And I was able to like get up and speak in front of 300 plus people at the Mm -hmm. memorial because I was pissed. And that stayed with me for a while, which is why we did the rage room, which is really weird, but pretty awesome all at the same time. (laughs) I kind of wish they were opening COVID. I'm not going to lie. It'd probably be pretty popular. Yeah. There was that and there was just just so much anger. I remember Wyatt, my youngest, I don't know if he was even putting clothes away or just like opening drawers in his dresser and it tipped over on top of him and we got it up, but then the drawers were stuck. And all I could remember is like, I asked so many times for him to just anchor it to the wall. It had not, it it had not been anchored like while Logan was in that room, but like why it was our wild one. And if anything was going to happen, it was going to be with him. And it did. And, you know, I couldn't get the drawers back in and it was a whole thing. And I started slamming, you know, slamming the drawers to get them back in. And then I just started slamming the dresser into the wall and I kept slamming it and slamming it. And there's dents in the wall still. And I just, you know, my mom was like, she didn't try to stop me, which I have to imagine was very hard for her to not, you know, she just, mm-hmm. you know, made sure the boys stayed away. And she was like, mommy's okay. She's just, you know, upset. You've got to do something with that energy. It has to move out of your body. Like I now understand that more yeah. concretely, mm-hmm. but at the time it was just rage, you know, and I went to talk to my doctor like right away and And I started looking for a therapist right away because I knew even before the dresser slamming, you know, of it all, because I mean, it's such a completely messed up thing. How in God's name can I process this and parent my children and do like, I, I, I don't even know, you know, so, so it was, for me, it was no question that that's something we would do. You know, I sought out family therapy and a therapist for Logan, my eldest and all of that. And eventually I ended up going on antidepressants because it was kind of a concern prior to all of this anyway. Right. But then like, I don't, I don't even think this was even before I, I, I really connected and was regularly talking to my therapist, but the day before school started, we were at a friend's. It was the first social thing I had gone to all summer. I really didn't want to be around a lot of people. Even the night we went to the, the rage room, it was me and three other friends, one who was happened to be staying at my house from out of town. And even I remember one of the girls saying, you know, people are waiting if you want to just be with anyone. And I was just like, I was fucking, I no, I don't want to be around people. I don't want that pitying look. I couldn't stand that because yeah. I don't care if you feel bad. <laughs> like, I'm not going to make you feel better. And these are my friends and they love me and, and that that's fine. You but you needed to deal with your stuff, not other people's feelings. Exactly. And, 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 <laughs> I, and I never questioned that, like, my good friends would make me feel that way. Right. But I just was like, I just couldn't, there's something about doing that that I just couldn't, I couldn't do. But we went to this pool party because, you know, they were good friends and the boys needed it. They needed a little bit of normalcy and it's Labor Day. Why not? Well, wouldn't you know, we're not even there an hour and Wyatt bumps his head on the edge of the pool, which is brick and rough and it punctures his little forehead. Mm -hmm. And I like, I couldn't handle it like at all. Yeah. What about it? Like, How could you explain? I would that? always call Warren in those moments and not that I couldn't right. do it, but you know, or he would have been there. Right. Okay. And I parented, did the physical parenting alone most of the time anyway, because of his work schedule, but he was always a call away. And if it was something emergent, he left. You know, that didn't happen often, but if it was, he just left or he would be there. And like with like the boo-boos or the cuts or the blood or any of that, not something I like. I mean, who right. likes it, but not something that I do well with. But and he then, was better with that. He was better with that. Uh, you know, I have yeah. a video that he sent the boys uh, before that, you know, about how to get a splinter out because I have no patience. I just want to get it done. And he just had it this like, really, he could be like, I don't know, like cracking your finger or your your shoulder back in. And he would just be like really calm and cool about it. Right. And that wasn't me anyway. And then I just, I think like, you know, that he hit his head and and because it was a a blow to the head, for Warren, even though I knew it wasn't that serious. And then the idea of like, I don't like, Mm -hmm. what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to go to the hospital? Am I supposed to, you know, I remember cutting my finger once 
and like with a knife when I was chopping jalapenos and my girlfriend was with me and we were useless. We were like, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know. That looks pretty, that looks pretty serious. So we go to emerge and we're in Meta's there. And he's like, yeah, no, you got to go home. You're not waiting here for this. You know, like he just was always the voice of reason in those moments. Right. And he wasn't there. And then all of a sudden we were back, we were at the hospital and it wasn't the same hospital, but like I was sitting there in triage and I was like, I can't do this. And it was Labor Day. Everybody in, everybody's at the hospital because <laughs> they can be because <laughs> people are drinking and being morons. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't know what the deal is, but there were a lot of people there and it was right before their first day of school. And it was why it's first day of school ever, which was another whole thing too. Mm-hmm. And I'm thankful that I said, I don't hide my feelings from my kids. And this, if anything, in this experience, I, I, it's impossible to, you know, but I have to sit there with my four-year-old on my lap and tell this triage nurse, like, look, you know, six weeks ago when I was in a hospital, this is what I was dealing with. And if there's anything you can do to help me get out of here faster, I would really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And they did. And they were wonderful. And within an hour and a half, we were out of there with anybody who's been to the ER in Toronto knows that's pretty good, I think, especially on a long weekend Monday. Yeah. Just like being there, like I felt I felt like I was back there again, even though it was different and everything, but it was just I similar enough that, yeah. And, and for somebody who doesn't really like want to be anywhere near a hospital on a good day, mm-hmm. you know, and shortly after that, you know, first day of school, and then it was what would have been his 45th birthday. Yeah. And, and again, very fortunate for the people that I have because they kind of threw together kind of like a party of sorts with just like, it was a very random grouping of friends, but people that were really important to him. And then also some that were important to me. But I, again, I didn't really have to do much for that. They kind of did everything and it was weird. I felt, I just felt really disconnected. I've, I've written before that through this whole period, the best word I can think to describe it was that I just felt unmoored. Like I was just like a boat just floating, mm-hmm. you know, cause we had, been long distance in the beginning of our relationship because I lived in California and he lived here and we kind of just agreed like there was just a like he was home right didn't matter where we were he was home he's the anchor like going with your unmoored analogy right yeah he just was Mm -hmm. he was solid you know and then it was Canadian Thanksgiving and we went to my parents' lake house, which was really great because that was very different from what we had ever done. Um, oh, before that was Logan's birthday, which I was really worried about that. But my sister came and my friend helped me throw. And of course, you know, my son, I'm, I'm very pro paying somebody and going somewhere for a party so that it's just easy and my house doesn't get trashed. I don't have to clean my, like, you know, well, he wanted his birthday party at home and you can't say no to a child who has just lost their dad. Yeah. So many milestones, like you're describing so many. Yeah. They just, you know, when we got through them and again, my sister and my brother-in-law and their two girls, they came up for it. My mom this whole time was with us too. Like she had left when they came, but she, she stayed with us and came back and, you know, we drove down to New Hampshire for Canadian Thanksgiving, which was weird as two little Canadians, one permanent resident, forcing Thanksgiving on to a bunch of Americans who had never done it before. Like I had to remind my mom that we needed a turkey. And she was like, oh, right. I'm like, it's Thanksgiving, mom. <laughs> you know, and then shortly after that, like after that trip, she came back up here with us. I actually, I kind of, I really... I don't think I was ever up, but I really took a dive. My mood, just, I was yelling at everything. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, my mom, just her presence highlighted for me what wasn't, what was missing. You know, she was here to help and she did as much as she could. And, you know, I Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine what it was like for her, not only because she loves us so much, but she loved him. Yeah. They... I feel like especially after Logan was born because I would go to sleep really early and she came up here whenever she could and they would just sit up downstairs mm-hmm. and I swear to God, they would just rip on me. Like yeah. they they legitimately had their own relationship. I remember, you know, your mom driving up here 
as soon as she could and, and watching what was happening with your family and, and watching your mother. And I remember kind of being really struck just by how, like, you're always a mom. Mm-hmm. You are an adult child. You are a mother yourself, but that didn't change that your mom was here to like come and take care of you. And she dropped everything just like you would do for your kid. Mm-hmm. Like, I just remember watching that and just being like, wow, this is really touching. Yeah. I mean, right. I but, uh, don't appreciate her enough <laughs> at all, <laughs> even still. Um, but it makes sense what you're saying that, that her presence was like, mom's here. And that's weird because mom has been here, here for three months, but she's living here because of who's not here. Mm-hmm. It yeah. makes sense when you say it like that, that that could be triggering. I don't do great with unknowns. I mean, I don't know anyone who does, frankly, but like, I remember when I was pregnant with my second, I was really stressed out about how I was going to manage two kids being on my own most of the time. And that was another time that we had a lot of support and we were with a lot of people and there was just stuff going on where I ended up being with my family a lot. And so it was a while, it was like, you know, two months in before we were alone really for any period of time for me to figure it Mm -hmm. out. And I just kept getting more and more anxious about what that was going to look like. It got to that point too. Like, it was like, I don't know that I felt like I could handle things on my own, but I also knew that I had to figure it out. And as long as she was here cleaning up after me and trying to like, you know, manage the boys and all of that, I couldn't. And so I completely lost it on her one day and she was going to go stay in a hotel for the last two days. And she would not in a, not in a mad way, just in a, I, I under, like, I know I I'm going to leave and I'm going to leave. And it's, and I'm like, you can't go stay in a hotel mom. And thankfully it was like the marathon. So hotel rooms were stupid expensive and she refused to pay that. Um, <laughs> but I was at like, and she's like hiding in our guest room and I'm like, mom, you don't need to do that. I just, I think we were at like freaking elementary school cross country race. And there was just something about that. Like I remember being at one with Warren, we were both like freaking amazed that he was even doing this. Like he's not that kid. And to see him like working at something so hard, it was like crazy. And, and, you know, that he wasn't there and there are all these dads there and, mm-hmm. you know, I just, we couldn't handle it. You know, we went through, you know, American Thanksgiving, which was like the first big family meal that I had had, we had had since Warren died. And I just remember Thanksgiving was always my favorite. Like it's my favorite holiday, American Thanksgiving. And we did Friendsgiving here like that we do. And that was probably the only thing that I didn't even question as much as I didn't want big things. I knew, I just knew that we had to do that. Mm -hmm. It's a tradition. It it just, there was something about it that it was less like, well, this is just what we do. It's like, no, we have to do this. And the irony is, is that we had a very wonderful baker bake a bunch of pies for the reception after the funeral. And I had a whole caramel apple pie in my freezer that I pulled out on that day, which I always, which I felt was like kind of a funny little thing to have funeral pie, as I called it. <laughs> as for dessert for a friend's giving uh, something about that felt good and it, it worked for me and I don't I, I mean but then sitting at another big family dinner just didn't and I don't know I don't know why I, I was no less loved or more loved in either situation yeah I don't I don't know and then came the Christmas holidays which were hard but again I called some friends I was like yeah I need help you got to get me a Christmas tree like I can't I'm not doing that you know, we, there were people around us and we, we went to Disney world cause that had been planned, which initially seemed like a really good idea. And I still don't think I would change it, but you know, Logan ended up getting the flu and having to deal with all that while trying to coordinate getting our stroller rental and, you know, doing all of the things. And mm-hmm. anyone who has kids likely knows that you can be with family or people who want to help. But nine times out of 10, they just want you. And that's how my kids are. Like if I'm there, it doesn't matter what other help is available. Your mom. And especially when the one is sick, right? Like, I mean, come on. And I remember sitting at, you know, the various character meals and family meals that were planned because we were there with my entire family. 
and each one stung just a little bit more. And like, how do I tell my parents who gifted us this amazing trip? And he was like, it was planned before Warren died. So he was going to be there and he was looking forward to it, taking the boys to Star Wars land and building droids and doing all of these things. And then on Christmas day, Christmas day was like just a stressful day anyway. Like, I mean, Disney world is a bit busy freaking place, but it wasn't that bad in the days leading up to, to it. But Christmas Eve and Christmas day were like packed. Mm-hmm. And I don't love crowds. And I was tired of pushing a freaking double stroller. And like my dad was pushing it at one point and was like, like that man should not be allowed to drive a double stroller because <laughs> he is prone to road rage anyway. So, you know, it was borderline stroller rage. I was like, my kids are in that fucking thing. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Take it easy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I felt where he was coming from, but I'm like, you, you can't do that. <laughs> And I lost it at dinner and we ended up like leaving. And Mm -hmm. the kids were like, what is going on? Because they weren't behaving well. And we all have different thresholds for what's good behavior and what's bad behavior. Mm -hmm. And my parents and being trying to be helpful were doing what they felt was appropriate or right. And I disagreed. But because of where I was mentally, I disagreed very loudly. Right. Because there's all this underlying stuff that people don't see well I right? think and think about it for the most part we all love our families but you've chosen to create a family with someone else and so that when you're in those family situations you like have that person to like roll your eyes at if you don't agree with something or right and I mean like I'm close with my siblings but it's not it's just not the same it's you know and and like or you know like your person who you can mm-hmm. look at and they can just know like, hey, I'm going to go take the kids to the bathroom or why don't we go on this ride and you just sit here for a little while. Like there, that was not – and again, my family is amazing and they, they do everything that they can. They, they do. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not a reflection in any way on them. It's just what it is. And then I feel like just as I was coming up for air or at least starting to feel a semblance of normalcy, we had a babysitter that the boys – loved you know I spent two nights away from them for the first time since like I wasn't apart from them other than like an odd dinner here and there for like nine months which is not typically like my style like you know me I'm pro break (laughs) like Warren would take the kids to the cottage and I would be like happy to send them yes you know literally two weeks before the world shut down for COVID I had actually from when we're recording this I was at the Hotel X <laughs> last year <laughs> in a much needed break. And then, and then the world shut down. And I know that was traumatic for most people. And it was scary for us, but I think we needed it. I think we, as a family of three, did a lot. I'm hesitant to use the word healing when you talk about grief because it's something you just learn to live with. It's not, mm-hmm. it doesn't go away. And to me, healing implies that you're getting better. There's something wrong with you and you're getting better. Right. And I don't think that what, that applies. What might be a better word? Like I have a couple of words that are coming to mind, but I wonder for you. I don't know. Mm. I, I don't, I mean, I guess you could say healing, but the healing is like this kind of scar almost. Right. Like it's not, it's not some like perfectly stitched up, you know, wound. It's a wound that kind of will always be there. Mm-hmm. And it's how you learn to live with it. Because, but that time of just the three of us, it was time that we didn't really get the summer before. Like, yes, we had six weeks between, you know, when he died in school. But again, I was in this fog where like, I was just doing the things, you know, you've talked about, you know, in your story, how you really just wanted to protect your kids. Mm -hmm. And I did too, but in a very different way. Like I didn't protect them from the ugliness but I wanted to make sure my primary goal was making sure that they were okay, whatever that means, but at least okay enough to like continue to be kids. Right. So, you know, going to the therapy appointments, finding the therapist, making sure they saw their friends when they wanted to providing them whatever kind of semblance of a summer I could. So there was that all happening. And so when the world kind of closed, I mean, it was really hard. But in retrospect, they got along really well. Mm-hmm. We really just leaned into just being together and figuring things out. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I mean, I would say through, through July, we were, aside from like desperately missing family, we were okay. Yeah. And figuring out, I guess, really what things look like when it's just the three of you. And what is that dynamic going to be without the family and the friends and, and all of that and all of the distractions? Yeah. Right. And yes. And the, but the irony, yes, definitely without all the family and the friends, but the irony is in terms of our like Monday to Friday life, very little changed for us because he worked very long hours. Mm-hmm. The weekends still, even now are very hard. I have weekends that are extremely hard, especially in COVID because there's only so much happening as we currently sit in lockdown still, because I was always so fiercely protective of them because he worked so much. Mm-hmm. You know, and after a few particularly hard, long weekends in the summer, I made the call to kind of book some trips for us. And it was really weird because I, again, like I would travel alone with them often, but it would usually be to see my family. So I would right. either get a break because I don't know, it's always stressful to like do the packing and get the going and like I love to do it, but there's always this like, oh, what did I forget? And you know, whatever. So that part was the same, but then it was like, okay, great, but I'm going to get there. And if I forgot anything, I have to bring them with me to go get it. I can't even send, like there's, and is that a big deal? No, but it's just different and weird and kind of uncomfortable. And it's another layer to yeah. think about yeah. that you didn't have to think about before. No. And, you know, one of the trips we took was out to Prince Edward County and we loved it. Um, and we, you know, had some patio drinks with someone who Warren and I both had worked with in film and he lives out there now. And he's like, I, we were, I was talking about, oh, we should come back next summer. He's like, oh, you should get a place on the lake. And I was like, I can't do that. And he's like, why not? I go alone with two kids with directly access to water. I mean, I think you even offered me your cottage. And I was like, I did, yeah, I don't feel comfortable doing that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, and you know me, like I'm not that person who doesn't feel comfortable doing things like that. No, you were, I mean, because of the nature of, of Warren's work, I used to always marvel at how much you did by yourself. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's going to go on a road trip for how long with just her kids? <laughs> Wait, she's going on a plane alone with them? Like, who is this lady? <laughs> yeah. Right? Like you definitely were used to doing things on your own, but like you said, he was always a phone call away. Yeah. I always, even, even before having to go through this, you know, when you're a mom and, and you've got, or you're in a partnership and your partner goes away or whatever, like the joke is, Oh, I'm a single mom this week. And I was always in those moments. I'm like, well, no, not really. Cause you still have someone you can call. Maybe they're not there to do the things, but you have that support. That in theory, if like a marriage is broken up or something, you don't have that. And like, sometimes people will Mm -hmm. refer to me as a single mom. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm like an only mom. I'm a solo mom. It's just me. And it's a whole. Right. And you feel like it's important to make that distinction. I do. I do. Because there's like, when you're a single parent, I think, you know, when both parents are involved, presumably the kids go somewhere else, even if it's like once a week for a night or something like, you know, depending, you know, most, I feel like in these days, most people Mm -hmm. have like pretty split custody of their kids. So they go somewhere else. Or, you know, if you're dealing with a tough parenting moment, you have someone else to talk to who is as invested in this child as you are. Right. Frankly, you don't have to deal with a child every night who asks about daddy. Hear someone say, you know, I forget what daddy sounds like. And I have my own grief, but like grief evolves and changes over time. And I've been told that I probably will have a lot more grieving to work through after the boys are older and out of the house, which makes sense. Because again, we, as real as I think I'm being with them, obviously, like, aside from when they did see me slam the dresser, you know, they don't really see the the depth and breadth of my anger um, when it comes. But I just think that they have so much longer to have to live with it. And that breaks my heart. And, you know, there's no medication or therapy talking that's going to make that better. Mm -hmm. Like, 
on the anniversary of his accident, we were driving and we saw a car fire after a car fire. And I almost had to pull the car over. I was just like, no, 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 not today, not today, not today. And, and Logan was like, what is wrong with this world? And like, it was just like, we all had our own, why is this something too? And right now I can't even remember it. Like we all had our own very visceral reactions to that. And there, it's in no way related to us, but it just speaks to the fact that we've been traumatized and it just doesn't go away. And you never know when those things are going to creep up. No. Right? When you're going to be driving and you're going to see something. And I think that's one of the things that makes it so difficult is that it's, it's, it's not predictable. I mean, it's I not be- just a cycle, as you said. No, or like, like some oh, linear I'm- thing. Yeah. I can be driving sometimes and sometimes it can be somewhere completely like innocuous and other times it could be like driving along a road that we always drive by drive on um or we would it's very hard for me to drive by the hospital where Warren was I thankfully it's on the other side of town and so it does not happen often but I remember the first mm-hmm. time I did white knuckling my steering wheel and just mm-hmm. like my stomach dropped or just sometimes I'm driving and I like it's like I'm back in that day driving my car and not knowing what I was driving back to. Yeah. Cause you were driving that day. So mm-hmm. it makes sense that driving could, you know, be a trigger. Yeah. And it doesn't happen as often anymore. And, it, but it, it did happen and it would happen. And yeah, it just, it, I don't know. Mm-hmm. What do you think that people don't understand about grief? that you wish they did. They don't understand that we're all going to experience it. We're all dying. We're all dying. And we're all going to have someone that will close to us that we love that will die. Mm -hmm. And I won't lie. There's like a evil little guy on my shoulder that when COVID hit and there's all these articles about the trauma of your canceled plans and grieving this, I was like, ha ha suckers. Now you get a little bit of like what we're going mm-hmm. through. I still don't think yeah. it's the same, but no, it's, it's, it's not, and, and <laughs> but, but, and grief looks different for everybody too. Absolutely. It's right? never going to so, be the same. It's never going to be the same, but I do think you're right that we don't, we kind of live our lives as though death is never going to touch us. And yet the reality of being human is that, is that it will. Mm-hmm affect all of us. We are all going to lose somebody at some point that we love. And the fact that we don't know how to support people during these times just shows how really like death, death adverse we are. Yeah. Like we're just so uncomfortable with the idea of death. It's, it's Mm -hmm. so interesting. And I feel like I just something I want people to think about before they reach out to somebody who's experienced a loss. Are you reaching out to them for them? Or is it maybe deep down, like think deep down? I don't think, and I don't think people are bad, but I think a lot of times it's more about assuaging your own feelings than really being about that person because the whole thing makes you very uncomfortable. So you're getting over that uncomfortableness by like saying, oh, you know, I'm here for you or I'm sorry or whatever it is you have to say because you can tell. And again, I don't think it's a malicious thing. I, I, I wouldn't sit there and be like, oh, that person's a jerk. Like it's not about that, but like make sure when you're doing it, it's, it's truly about that person. And if it's not, then that's okay. Everybody can't be like thinking about everybody else and their own problems all the time. And don't ever say to somebody, anything I can do, just do something, have food delivered, drop off a gift card for Starbucks, text somebody and say, I left coffee on your porch. One of the teachers from school did that a couple of times. And that was pretty amazing to be straight up. Hire a cleaning lady for someone, go fold their laundry. Cause you want to know something, all that stuff that you do in your own home, they still have, you, you still have to do no matter what happens, right? Mm-hmm. You still got to fold laundry. Yeah. 
Cause I don't think other than when I, when I said to Lewis, like, will you buy us clothes for this or help me get dressed for this, these ridiculous things that I have to do that I can't even believe I have to do. I don't know that I could really concretely ask anyone, tell somebody what I needed. It's hard to ask for help. And it's hard to look at your life and fig and pinpoint like a specific thing you could, you could delegate. Yep. Right. Like all of a sudden you're just, I'm using the laundry as an example, but like, I imagine that all of a sudden one day you're like, crap, I'm drowning in laundry. Well, you know, I was, because you came and helped me fold laundry. (laughs) (laughs) I did actually, (laughs) because you told me you were drowning in laundry and I was like, oh, that's something I can help with. But if you're not having those conversations with people, sometimes they, they don't know what to do. And I, I don't think you, you know, you maybe don't see it coming until it's now a problem. Well, yeah. And, and again, it's like, who's, I'm going to say, come help me fold my laundry. I mean, I'm bad. I, I admit that prior to all of this, I was very bad at asking for help anyway, but even still, like, it'd have to be really bad for me to ask for help with that. In the grief and widow community that is out there, most people say year two is harder than year one. I don't. And you're in year two now. Yeah, I don't. I don't. It's hard. I feel like this is not like standard because of the COVID of it all. Yeah. So it's hard to say. I mean, Christmas was definitely harder, but it was also the first Christmas in my entire life that I was not with my family. Right. Right. So that and, probably compounds it. And like the last year was the first year we weren't at their home and this year, but we were all together anyway. And then this year was the first year that it was just us. And again, I'm so fortunate that even though I live far away, that we have like support here and people here and we, you know, had people to be with and, and all of that, mm-hmm. but grief doesn't go away. And when you show up to support somebody, they're never going to stop needing some sort of support. And if they're people that you love, and it doesn't mean like checking in on them all the time and like dropping food all the time, but it, it can be as simple. And somebody did this to us like last year at the beginning, like during the pandemic, uh, an acquaintance friend from the neighborhood, she was like, I have like way too much lasagna for my family tonight. Can I drop some off for you guys? She made my day. She made <laughs> yeah. my freaking day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I frankly think that's something we should just do as moms for one another anyway. Like if you really get down to think about it. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could all we could all use that. We could all use that sometimes, I think. You know, but if you know someone who's gone through something and even thinking back to what you were going through. Like I kind of kick myself that it never occurred to me to do that, knowing what little I did know about what you were going through, because it's the same kind of situation. If you're thinking about someone and you think that maybe they could use something, just do it. And even if it's just that, emailing them a freaking Starbucks card, it's so silly, but that stuff matters to people. Mm -hmm. I, I really like what you've said there. Like if you're thinking that maybe somebody could use some support, Mm-hmm. just go for it. Who's ever going to turn it away? I mean, even if you don't need the support, who's going to say no to right. a coffee being delivered on their doorstep just right? to say, I'm thinking of you, right? Yeah. Like yeah. that people haven't forgotten mm-hmm. what you're going through. And it's a fine line. Like there's an element of n- not wanting it to be like in the forefront and reminded of it, you know, and bringing it up. But then it's like also wanting it to be acknowledged, you know? Mm-hmm. you're going to get it wrong. I get it wrong. Mm-hmm. When I'm in it in like a grief wave and it's bad, I'm not a nice person. I take everything personally. You think about like the the way you question yourself as a mother anyway. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I think my kids, my kids would be better off without me. Like that, that if he was here and I wasn't. And I do take it out on them. But sometimes you just take it out on the people that are closest to you too. Yeah. I mean, the people who are near you are going to, to feel that, right? And, you know, acknowledge that someone who's grieving, depending on where they are in a day, might take your best intentions badly. Mm-hmm. And it's not because they don't love or appreciate you. It's not really about you. 
because any advice or support we give someone is informed by our own experiences. Right. And the hard thing about that is that sometimes highlights how different mine is. And that's really hard. Mm-hmm. And I've definitely lashed out. Like at people who were well-intentioned and, and said something that just didn't sit right. Mm-hmm. And maybe uh-huh. people who like, I felt like really safe with, and then that just like blew it up for me. If that makes sense, like safe mm-hmm. and just like showing all of the things. And then it just, it makes you feel like you're not being seen or like heard. I know that's a, a, a big thing for you. And I've heard you say that so many times. I'm wondering if you might expand on that idea of wanting to be seen. I guess just like seen in, in your grief and in your pain and in how impossible your situation feels on any given day Mm -hmm. to not try to make it better, to not offer advice that's maybe not asked for. Because again, it's going to be informed by your experience, which I know a handful of people that have experiences similar to mine, but the people I interact with the day-to-day do not. Right. And people by nature sort of, they want to try to fix and they want to try to help. and, And they think maybe if they have this tidbit of information that it could be somehow useful for you. Mm-hmm. Moms especially want to fix. We're moms. And people don't know what to say. No. And that's the thing, like most of the time, there's probably nothing you can say. So just be willing to sit with me in it and acknowledge that mm-hmm. you don't know what to say. Right. Yeah. I think that that's okay. And maybe this is just, you know, my experience, but you know, the more, you know, widows and, and people in my experience that I talk to, it seems it's common and it, it stems from, well, for me, most of the people I interact with are mothers. And as moms, we want to fix everything. Yeah. For the we people fix, we care we about. Nurture. For the people we care about, that's just what we want to do. That idea of sitting in it with somebody sitting in the mud is not comfortable, right? We want everyone around us to be comfortable. Right. So that's part but of it. It's okay to say, I think what I'm taking from it is like, it's okay to say, I don't know what to say. Yeah. But I'm just going to sit here with you. Yeah. And acknowledge that this all sucks. Yeah. (laughs) One of my, one of my very good friends, you know, very shortly after this, she was like, the hashtag for this is fuck this shit because it's so messed up and, Mm -hmm. and yet it's life, you know? And so Mm -hmm. you have to accept it and keep moving on with it. So I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's messed up and hard and. And you're still in it. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it's like, we'll always be in it and it'll mm-hmm. come, it'll ebb and flow. It like, I think they call them grief waves for a reason. Cause they kind of crash on you and they, they can lay you out. Yeah. Like the holidays laid me out for almost two months. That was probably the longest kind of resurgence I had had since everything, you know, and it's almost like sometimes I wish like I could just like, you know, wear a sign (laughs) I'm in it right now. Or, you know, the way, like if someone says something when they're drunk or whatever, and you kind of just like write it off, like they were bombed, like whatever. Right. Like I, w- I wish I could get, get that. Like you want a, a disclaimer. I want that kind of a pass. <laughs> like I'm in it right now. Yeah. I can't be held yeah. accountable for anything I say because <laughs> I'm yeah. in pain. And sometimes when I'm in pain, I want somebody else to be in pain too. And that's childish, but that's human. I'm working on it. It's not something I'm proud of, yeah. but it's just part of my process. We'll have to get you a shirt made up somehow. Mm-hmm. Well, my, right. my girlfriend and I was like, we're like, we need like widow shirts back off. <laughs> well, we don't want to talk to people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Thank you so much for sharing with us today. Thank you for listening. It's, it's been a long journey for you. And as you said, you, you know, you're still in it. You're going to be in it for a while. But um, it's really brave of you to just to talk about it and try to help other people, you know, just normalize some of the things that you're feeling. And, you know, on your social media at Boy Mom on the Move, 
you are very vulnerable and you share about things, you know, as they're happening day to day. And I think that while that might be helpful to you, I think it really is helpful for other people just in terms of, you know, helping people with their own grief, but also helping people understand really what it's like and help people build empathy for one another. Yeah, I think that's huge. Right. Isn't that what it's all about? I think so. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Now What? If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like you find our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with someone you think would love it. And make sure to find us on Instagram at nowwhat underscore podcast. Until next time, we're Tisha and Jen. Remember, your hard times are the chance to write another chapter.